This is the Crystal Gemcast, the analytical Stephen Universe podcast. Yes, you're listening to the Crystal Gemcast, episode 7. I'm Joseph. I'm Molly. I'm Sam. And today we're bringing you the second half of our discussion about Stephen Universe and mental health. If you don't think we can... We're already in the middle of it, so, you know, here's part two. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's, it's... Spoilers! So, we have one really important bit of news for you, in case you haven't been following us on the social medias. You guys seem to love Sam that much that we have decided to take her on as a permanent member of the Yay! team. I'm loved, and I'm here forever. That's right. You're here forever. <laughs> but um, seriously, I'm really glad to be an official part of the podcast. These guys are awesome people, and I love Steam Universe. Love talking about it. Love talking about it too much. Love looking into it way, way, way too much. Also, I've had an awful cold recently. Hopefully it won't be too noticeable. So we got more comments. So off to the mailbag. Mailbag, mailbag. Yes, so we got one from the website, and this is to do with our discussion about fusions, and this is from Tim, and he says, After re-watching Giant Woman a few times, Opal is really kind of my personal fusion rankings. As a kind of a callback to the Influences podcast, I really noticed the parallels between her appearance and the Final Fantasy VII spell. She has her own theme song, as she just focuses on the enemies, has a long animation where a weapon comes out, and then the bow charge up sound before she fires could be lifted directly from the Shiva Diamond Dust Summon. Smiley face. Well, thank you very much for that. I haven't exactly played that much Final Fantasy, so I can't really talk about summons too much. Well, I can kind of see it. In what way? Well, she does charge it up, and it's like a light, and then there's some a bunch of ice crystals being shot out, and then it turns into a flash uh, freezing of the enemy. There is parallels definitely there. And as what they're saying about Opal, I don't think we actually talked too much about mm. Opal, apart from the fact we all said we liked her. There is something really elegant about Opal, which is really funny considering it's a mixture of Pearl and Amethyst, but I suppose that kind of makes sense because Pearl is quite a... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fancy? Yeah, sort of fancy, but like sort of she's sort of acrobatic, whereas um, Amethyst, mm. I mean, she doesn't seem to be, but then she can do a sonic spinball attack and run about in all the places. She's got a quite a lot of athletic ability. So I can see how the mixture of the two can be sort of elegant. And and there is quite a lot of parallels, especially like with characters and bows. Well, it goes back to Greek mythology, really, doesn't it? And the concepts of the goddess Athena. Was she Diana? Yeah, Diana in the Roman myth. And uh, Artemis as well, I think, had a bow. Yeah, that's true. You're right, she did. And um, Apollo, I think, had a bow. There was a lot of archers, it seems, in the pantheons. Not surprising, though. You could kill a lot of people with a bow. Yep, and I think Achilles was often seen holding a bow. Although, I mean, he was killed by a bow, wasn't he? Right, but there's also, like, a bunch of depictions of him with a bow. I think all of us really like Opal. I think there's a sort of connection with her because she's, like, the first fusion we see. Like, I think all of us collectively gasped. The moment we saw her. Oh, except for Garnet. We didn't know about Garnet, apart from a few really smart people that worked it out. Yeah, but she was the first revealed fusion there, let me word it that way. So that was the moment we just collectively gasped, we're like, this is so cool. And then we collectively made the connection between this fusion and fusion from Dragon Ball Z. 
Oh, yes. I mean, that is what a lot of people came up with. Albeit the process is a little different. I mean, they both dance, though. That's true. Well, it's pretty similar. It's pretty similar in concept. But in any event, I really like Opal. She is probably like... The problem is that we didn't get to know her very well. Like, she's really cool looking. I think design-wise, she's the best looking fusion aside from Garnet, but, you know. But the problem is that she's not as fleshed out. She hasn't really been able to talk or show us who she really is, as in the other fusions have been able to and been given that time. But there is a reason for that when you think about it. It's the fact that Amethyst and Pearl don't really still get along that well. And that's fair. So she wouldn't stick around long enough for us to be able to figure out who she is, and that makes sense. But then again, Amy Mann must be hard to get a hold of, though. I think all of them would be. I mean, when you look at it... And I think that's sort of the drawback of getting really high-profile celebrities to do your voices that aren't regulars. Like, Estelle being a regular, you know she's going to be there a certain amount of the time. But with these once-every-once-in-a-while characters, you know, you really have to watch out for schedules. But then again, there's it's a recording kind of thing, which is nice. I mean, if you look back at Animaniacs, Bernadette Peters would do two or three Rita episodes in a row every time she would come by. And so I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that Nicki Minaj or Amy Mann could come in to record several episodes. Or do what South Park started doing with with Isaac Hayes in the early days where they would literally run lines over the phone. Yeah, I was going to say, Skype does seem like a very useful tool. It helps us do what we do, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's not outside of the realm of possibility, so... Well, yeah, but when it's a professional TV show, you might want a little better quality, that's word. Are you saying we're not professional? No, 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 no. Nah, I'm joking, we're joking. Yeah, we haven't started yet. A show that makes millions of dollars, like... My major point was that getting such high-profile names can often have clashing schedules when they aren't regular. And so I think that's why a lot of people have to hopel for Opal. And why uh, we don't really get a lot of uh, Sugalite voice in, um, oh, what was the episode Cry for name? Help. Cry for Help. That's very true. And I get that, but the thing is, though, like, even though, like, almost all the fusions have celebrity voice actresses, and that makes sense why they couldn't be there for long, still, almost every other fusion, you still get more of a sense of who they are than you do from Opal, which is, I think, why she just isn't overall our favorite's at least my favorite, because she's really cool looking, but I know next to nothing about her because she has so few lines. So other ones that have more personality would just, you know, overtake that. Where is Garnet's main character? So we spend huge amounts of time with her. Well, that too. I'm saying more like the occasional fusions, not the permafusion. She's not even fighting. She's, you know, she just, you know, like a... You know! So if you have any comments that you might want to get rid out on the show, there's multiple ways of doing that. Most of our contact information will be given to you at the end of the show. But now on to something else that's happened recently. It is, of course, the fourth Stephen Bomb. Yeah. I'm sure we've got a lot to talk about that. The following segment contains major spoilers from the latest Stephen Bomb. If you'd like to miss these, make sure to skip over to 32 minutes and 30 seconds. Do you mind if I start off with a question for you guys? About the Stephen Bomb. So, All right. go ahead. what was your favorite episode from the Stephen Bomb? If your answer isn't the answer, then you're probably wrong. <laughs> it's either the answer or message received. I can't pick between the two. I know what my least favorite one is, but I also know that by saying that, I'm going to get people throwing things at me. 
It's probably Steven's birthday. No. Oh, was it the uh, the last one, Log Date? Yeah, his Log Date's my least favorite. I like it, but just didn't do anything for me. I loved all the episodes, but if I were to rank them, I would put uh, Steven's birthday at the bottom, even though I loved the episode so much. Yeah, that's probably mine, too. I guess mine would either be Steven's birthday at the bottom or uh, the one before Message Received. I can't even remember the birthday well, episode. it could have been great. That's it. Like, it was okay, and I liked how basically everybody's going to wreck Paradox stuff. Actually, I wish to change my answer. I think it could have been great was my least favorite episode of the bunch. I can see that. I mean, I suppose, in my mind, it's more like the prequel to- Yeah, that's fair. It's just that it could have been great feels like it could have been part of a two-parter, and that I had to wait that extra time for the two-parter, like, um, keeping it together, where it doesn't really tell us much. I guess I would like this episode better if I were binge-watching Steven Universe for the first time, and I could have seen Message Received right after it could have been great. When you look at the first Steven bomb, they arranged it in such a way that the two-parter was a two-parter and you got them on the same day. I suppose, thinking about it, they could have done it the same way and just had found an extra episode on one side of it and run those yeah, two episodes sort of together. Like, yeah, sort of like the BMO two-parter from uh, like a month ago. What, on Adventure Time? Yeah, on Adventure Time. Come on, bring your friends. But the problem with that is that each Steven Bomb is supposed to have, like, an arc. And obviously this was the Paradox arc overall. So they probably would have to find another episode relating to Paradox just to fill in that extra gap. At least I assume. So that's probably why they didn't make it a two-parter. What I found interesting, though, is we talk about arcs, and yes, this was all about Paradox. The first one was, you know, the beginning at the end of one season, the beginning of the other. And obviously we had season three's week of sardonics but when you look at Stephen bomb 2 which for for a long time was the most popular Stephen bomb that didn't really have a th- it had a theme to it but it wasn't really an arc to that one at all which i found interesting in, in of itself oh yeah what that was a Stephen bomb because like it's so unlike the other ones which definitely did have an arc like all the other ones except that one at least the one that i can remember i don't remember what even other episodes are a part of it I was saying the second Steam Bomb has a theme because it's all bound in the doing. Like, you know, let me do this for you, Rose. Let me do this for you, Steven. They're all about doing. But it wasn't like there was an arc going on in that one. And then the second one had, um, what's that one? The one where Connie becomes the sword fighter. Sworn to the sword? Yeah, from Sworn to the sword onwards up to Chili Tid. And it had that awful Ronaldo episode in it. Okay, so we've talked about our least favourites. What are our favorites? Like I was saying, I'm pretty sure mine's the answer, although it's weird. Okay, my favorite overall episode of the Steven Bomb was the answer because almost everything about it was perfect. Like everything. I love that song. Oh, the song's so good. And you can hear my cover of it on crystalgemcast.tumblr.com. Uh, that's not technically correct. You missed the... Did I, did I? But yeah, it's on our Tumblr if you want to hear Sam sing her awesome song. Overall, the answer is the best, but I think my favorite Steven universe moment ever was a message received in that yellow diamond's face her face when she was called a quad that made me lose my mind that is now my tumblr icon picture and i would not have it any other way it was like the best moment of my life that was an amazing moment and not one that i expected whatsoever i know it was so good That episode is brilliant just because it it led me up the garden path. It really did. 
I was like, oh no, it's all going to go wrong. It's all going to go wrong. And wait, 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 wait. What's she doing? Ah. Yeah, it definitely was an episode that you could rewatch because there's not a lot of episodes that have that. I mean, of course, you can rewatch it if you liked it, but there's not very many episodes that you could rewatch, and with the knowledge of the ending, the episode takes on an entirely different context with each line. For sure. Knowing the end result, you can assign the motivations behind the line that you didn't have before, and it gives you a new experience. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You can sort of, like, then see how Peridot was, like, well-intentioned, although slightly flawed in how she communicated to Steven what she was going to do. And it's sort of interesting to see from a perspective where we know that she won't, like, betray them. And we also get to see more Amadot. Oh, yeah. But that was more in log date. No, I don't think so. Because it all comes basically from Amethyst's reaction. She is emotionally hurt to the extreme in this. Basically on the equal amounts of hurt that she felt in, um, what was that episode with the- On the run. On the run. But with a whole new anger on top of that, just from how betrayed she feels. Do not get me wrong on this, but I feel like that's that's stretching it a bit. Especially comparing her reaction to um, On the Run to this one. Like, this one was more like comical, like, oh, I can't believe she did that. Which does show an emotional reaction, but On the Run, she was like... Yeah, but if you freeze frame a lot of her reactions, easily the one that's most visibly shaken by the news and the most visibly affected. I mean, she's angry, but it also looks like she's going to burst out into tears. And also the whole nicknames thing. I mean, she doesn't really... There is comedy to it, obviously. It's meant to be a comedian. I've never seen her... I've never seen her threaten to remove nicknames. Well, I don't know if she gives nicknames to a lot more people, which, I mean, I guess could prove more of your point. But, I don't know. Yellow D got torn down by the Pterodactyl! In any event, that was a pretty good episode. I think overall the answer is probably the... It's definitely got a style to it. I think because it's all created for that sort of storytell-esque, which I find quite funny considering this is Garnet we're talking about, in as much as Garnet's the most real of all the gems, I think, in that she's really down to earth. But then she wants to tell the story of how Ruby and Sapphire met, and she tells it in a very stylized, story-driven way. I like it. That's interesting. I think it, sh- I think it shows very well that she's, she's quite a romantic. Like, in fact, when you're actually thinking over that, it makes a lot of sense. Garnet's very romantic, and I don't just mean romantic in that, obviously, she's made of love, but romantic in, like, she's very... It's her ideals. She's very idealistic. I think it also shows sort of how she supports love in other people, too. Like, how she supported Greg trying to connect with Rose in a more, like, personal way, and how she encourages, you know, Steven's crush on Connie in various ways, and her whole entire, like, thing is about love, and that's pretty sweet. I really think, though, I know it's been mentioned by someone else in Tumblr, but I do want to talk about it in the episode, in that she's not only a huge metaphor for a relationship, but there's a whole lot of emphasis placed on both respecting yourself in the relationship as well as respecting the other person because Sapphire consistently does not let Ruby devalue herself in the relationship. And that that means quite a lot to me as someone that I find that I spend most of my time in my head devaluing myself. You know, I just... Sometimes I think I'm quite a lot like Ruby, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. And the other important thing is consent. When they are in a... a like a back in Keystone Motel... When they are in an argument and don't want to be Garnet anymore, they do separate. 
and they don't reform until they both want to be Garnet again. While the original formation of Garnet was very much an accident, every formation of Garnet afterwards is only done with the enthusiastic consent of both parties. And when Garnet fuses with the other gems, she always asks first. She asks Amethyst first with Sugalite, and Pearl, it's you and me, but Pearl could have said no, and Garnet would have respected it from what we've seen in log date 7152, where she offers to fuse with Peridot, but as soon as Peridot doesn't want to do it anymore, Garnet lets go. And she does not, and she doesn't insist. She doesn't uh, shame Peridot for her choices. If anything, she was, seems quite happy that Peridot made the decision one way or the other. Like, by taking a strong stance of, I'm not ready for this yet, she's shown that she was willing to at least think about doing it. Right, and so the important part is Garnet's reaction as well, because in a lot of romantic plot lines, whether it's in a comedy or an action show, there's always, um, there's not always, but there is often this, the girl says no, so you have to convince her. You have to do something really great to impress her, or you have to show her the that her current partner is a jerk so that she uh, will go to you. I've always hated that sort of stuff, although, to be honest, I just hate romantic comedies in general. I just... Uh... Right. And, and so it really devalues the partners saying it. It's always, you have to do something to get them to say yes uh, once the no has first been said. And instead, Garnet respects no. Uh, praises Peridot afterward and says, at least you tried, it's okay. And, like, going back to what you said there about, like, someone have, you know, if someone says no and you have to do a big gesture to get him to say yes, it's pretty bad if you'd have to be in a situation, relationship, where you'd have to do grand gestures every time you just wanted to be intimate with your partner. That would be bad in general, wouldn't it? Because that's, 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 not, that's not a good relationship. Is and, I mean. and that's why Steven Universe, while being important in very many respects, is also important in this one. And that it espouses and shows how healthy relationships can function without the need to denigrate partners with while respecting uh, your partner's boundaries, etc. and so forth. I mean, but it also shows that there is a difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships, i.e., you know, the fusing of Garnet versus, like, the fusing of uh, Malachite, or just, like, unhealthy, like, relationship patterns in general. Like with Marty? What I found interesting, really, about that, when it comes to... Um... Malachite is the fact that there was consent given, but it wasn't real consent because it was sort of badgering, wasn't it? It's one of those weird things, isn't it? Because Lapis wasn't being very heroic when she fused with Jasper, was she? She was being deceptive because she was always planning to bring. I wasn't. I wouldn't say that exactly, but the and a healthy part of it was that Lapis, instead of fighting Jasper or finding another way around it, decided to sacrifice herself for Stephen. And consistently, Steven Universe shows that self-sacrifice isn't always the way to go about things and is, in fact, a very poor choice most of the time. Now that Lapis is now bound to Jasper in Malachite, and and we see the contrast in relationships like with Ruby and Sapphire, where uh will denigrate herself, but then Sapphire will not accept that. I will say that I really like the parallels between them saying that and to Jailbreak when they reunite again, and Sapphire's like, 
I'm okay, how about you? And Ruby's like, who cares? And she's like, I do. And so, like, it's a constant validation of letting Ruby know that she is her own gem, despite her being a common gem, which is something I really appreciate, and I like the little continuity nod. Why am I so sure that I'd rather be this than everything I was supposed to be, and that I'd rather do this than everything I was supposed to do? So, Joseph, what's your favorite episode of The Steven Bomb? Well, as I said, it's between the answer and message received. I'm just quickly talking about the answer. What I find amazing is I love the way that it shows Sapphire's development as a character. Like, she's been brought up to believe that future vision is an immutable thing. You know, that it shows the future and that she's so passive towards it. Of course, we know from what we know now watching the series that future vision is just what they call it it's not actually future vision it is seeing what is most likely to be and also seeing all possibilities informed by what we know so that's why she couldn't see peridot back in cry for help because she kept peeking into the future where peridot was responsible and that was didn't make any sense because deep down in my opinion hmm. deep down subconsciously she knows it's not peridot right not necessarily that she thinks Pearl did it, but like there's something suspicious, and she was just trying to uh, trying to put that off because she didn't want to face the possibility that something was a bit going a bit wrong. Back to it then. Sapphire is then suddenly forced into a new situation she wasn't prepared for, and as we now know, Garnet is very much embracing that sort of philosophy of you know all the different choices, and she uses her powers really responsibly. You know, she only really uses it like. Uh, was it the snow episode where she basically shows Stephen why he shouldn't procrastinate by giving him a vision of what all the awful <laughs> things that could happen if he did procrastinate? You know, or when he, she used the future vision to show where Pearl and Amethyst was when they were on the, on the ship. It's like it's gone from being something that dictates what her life is to just being a tool that she uses. And I find that interesting. Moving forward to the other, one other choice. Yeah, I just love message received i love every bit of it and it's amazing <laughs> to think that there was a time when i didn't like peridot but that was on purpose that's the weird thing they knew because i found a tweet and it said that they were plotting before they'd even actually written peridot into the show as in shown her they already were writing the peridot redemption arc they already knew where it was going and then they knew that they would start off being like sort of mysterious <laughs> and who's this who's this and then suddenly Oh, that she'd end up as this goofy, nerdy little green, adorable thing. <laughs> well, she is. I, lo I love Peridot. I, I, I didn't use to, and I, it's a testament to the writing. I don't really call it a redemption arc so much as a Vegeta arc, because she hasn't really done much to to repent or do reparations for what she's done. She All she's done is change sides for her own reasons. And Well, we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see if some, one day she comes back with a giant M on the front of her thing and she's turned evil again. <laughs> but yeah, but the Crystal Gem is anyone that rebels against authority. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're on the same side, that they're opposite to the gem authority. Personally, I'd probably put the answer, message received, log date, Steven's birthday, and it could have been great. Because, I mean, looking back on it now, I suppose Log Date is a really good episode, and it probably is worth better than I gave it at the time. It was just because, like, all the other ones, 
were building up to that one final episode, whereas this one was like the first Stephen Bomb, and it was that they had the climax in the sort of right near the end, and then the final one was sort of a denouement. And I guess I kind of wasn't ready for that. I was hoping that a bit more would happen, but I suppose that's only because I was just thinking to myself, there's going to be another hiatus, isn't there? And I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm telling you, as much as I thought this is the best Stephen Bomb, I'm fed up with Stephen Bombs. I don't know. I don't mind them too much. I really am. I, I, mean, I like them once in a while, but I don't understand why they can't just put them onto a schedule now. They've got them. They're, they're all made. We know they're all been made. I'm pretty sure they've made up until I think they've, I think they've, I mean, it could be wrong. No, I think they've made the majority now of season two episodes and they're just waiting to actually start yeah. putting them out there. And it's just a bit annoying. And um, the problem is that they're just, it's a really popular format. Like apparently they're doing it with like almost all of Cartoon Network shows because probably because of Steven Bomb, it's proven to be effective. Like it gets people buzzed up and like talking about a show. It gets them really excited. It can be really frustrating if, you know, we have to wait months and months in between them, and that's why I kind of want to get it back to a regular schedule. But, like, think of the first Stephen Bomb. Think of how many pe- more people you saw on Tumblr being like, all right, I'll bite. What's Steven Universe? And they start watching it, and then, oh, are they actually? Oh, man, this is the greatest show ever. The problem is, we've kind of, sort of hit the realm of diminishing returns now, because people have been doing some number crunching and... The viewer figures are going down. It's nothing to do with the quality of the episode. It's just a concern that maybe Stephen Bombs, too many Stephen Bombs in a row is a bad idea. You need that mix of weekly, weekly episodes, and then maybe a Stephen Bomb, weekly episodes again. I think people are being bummed out. Probably not the best term. I know that the answer and message received were really great episodes, but my favorite episode of the Stephen Bomb was Log Date 7152. Ami, like, I I hear you, but... Why do you have such bad opinions? <laughs> Your answer isn't uh, the answer. Like, come on, man. Oh, poor Sam. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Continue. No, I loved I- the answer when <laughs> Ruby and Sapphire visited the lake that Titus and Yuna uh, first started going out in. But- um, Excuse me? I think you mean the place where uh, Sleeping Beauty and her prince danced? Oh, I thought you were talking about the lake where um, Robin Hood and Maid Marian sort of had a... It's, it's been a really popular dating spot, is what we're trying to say. You guys are a bit of... I'm glad you guys have watched. I was gonna, I was a bit worried you guys haven't actually watched Robin Hood. That was like one of my most watched childhood movies. I watched it a fair bit when I was a kid, too. I loved the answer, and I loved the song. And I will agree that the answer, and maybe uh, equal to message received... In the Better Made episodes, but I liked Log Date 7152 more. Really? I tend to like the character development episodes much more than the, uh, just overall, more than even the Better Made episodes that are climactic or plot related. Like, one of my favorite episodes is Political Power, where they uh, really developed Mayor Dewey. Although, to be honest, he's he's Joel Holmesman, isn't he? I mean... Come on, you're a little biased there. Yeah, also because uh, I'm a huge MST3K fan. But I also loved, oh, what was that one with the uh, the island? Oh, island Adventure. Adventure. I was going to love that one just because it's Lars and Sadie. And even though Lars is a problematic character, I still kind of like I it. like Island Adventure mostly for the song and the scenery. Yeah, and so that's why I love Rose's Scabbard so much. 
I love... Oh, what was the second Greg and Rose episode? We have to talk? Yeah, we have to talk. I loved that episode much more than a lot of the plot-related episodes like The Return, Jailbreak, The Message, You probably wouldn't have and... liked it as much if you'd have been oh. in my country. Ah. Yeah, that bloody censorship. That is true. Well, let's not get into that. We're going to continue even more off-topic. But my point is that even though that there are better-made episodes, that I like the character-driven episodes more. Sort of like how I will acknowledge that Silent Hill 2 is the best Silent Hill of the series, but my favorite Silent Hill will always be Silent Hill 3. And so that's sort of my reasoning with why I love Log Date 7152 the most. And also we get the aforementioned depictions of respecting consent, and we get to see a character prefer a same-sex couple pairing over straight couples with Paradox geeking out. And related to the episode, I think we've seen signs of Paradox uh, showing some signs of, of autism. Oh yes, that's very true. I mean, obviously, when we were recording our episode, this hadn't come out yet. And I think I even mentioned that I thought that Peridot had some traits of this, and the fact that we've had this information being given to us does seem to suggest that she might actually be also coded in that way. She might be, but I'm less inclined to think that she is more than Pearl, and here's my reasoning. Peridot literally, like, has just, like, been thrown on Earth, like, a few months ago, I would say, in Steven Universe time. So, she is not going to know the social etiquette of Earth. She's not going to be able to really understand what's going on around her or anything like that. While Pearl has been there for, like, thousands of years and should have learned a little bit more of the social etiquette of humans like Amethyst and Garnet have. But Pearl still shows those signs after those years of learning. But even then... She didn't uh, rewatch the same episode uh, how of uh, of a show. How many days was how, like how many hours was it? That, I don't know. Uh, Although to be fair, she didn't know that there was more than one episode. I think it was like seventy two. And no, I I can totally see Peridot being that. She didn't need to push Greg off of a building to see if humans could oh, fly. Gosh, I love that bit. There's more than it is to say. I mean, yes, that's sort of continuing the Peridot is kind of like a cat joke, but I, I do think that it sort of contributed. To the, her uh, lack of social awareness. And she is really young, that's the thing. Well, we assume she's young. That is true. It all depends on what we see now going forward. If she keeps some of these traits in, or even if they sort of lessen or she learns coping mechanisms, then I think then she maybe she does have it. But let's not forget that it is a spectrum. Did I mention that? I really liked that... A character in the canon supported a same-sex partnership with uh, Percy and Pierre. Yes, he did. I will concede that it was not due to romantic compatibility or through physical attractiveness pairing, but it was literally because they could crush the rest of the camp together. From what I'm understanding about Homeworld, the concept of love doesn't seem to have reached them much there anyway. Yes, yeah, pretty good. So that good. would be their concept of what a power couple would be like. A <laughs> power couple. <laughs> and I will say, I do love the way that the whole Percy and Pierre thing being used to help Perry not actually know what Garnet was. That was just clever. That was my favourite bit in the entire episode, because I right. was like, you know, that is a really clever way of explaining it. Actually, after all the week of Peridot, even though we're still a bit concerned about motives, she seems to have dropped pretty much most mm -hmm. of her racism. I don't know if racism is the term. And what's it called? Prejudice. Sure. She's dropping her prejudices. And that's wonderful. You know, I'm glad that she is because 
that was again part of what made me not like her so much. And now that she's got rid of it, that's true. There's more to love, isn't there? So if you have any opinions on this topic we're talking about on the Stephen Bob, again, we'd love to hear it. Also, just to as a reminder, um, we release our episodes of what we call Stephen Review Universe. It's our review of Stephen Universe, and we put it to our website and our, our YouTube channel. And I did a really long episode based on the Stephen Bomb. So for further thoughts on that, you know, why not go and let, give it a listen? And now it's time for part two of our discussion about Stephen Universe and mental health. If you'd like to hear the first part, please listen to our previous episode. Please also note that this recording was done before the airing of the latest Stephen Bomb. So now that we're finished talking about Pearl, let's talk about Amethyst. Now Amethyst is somebody that I fought to talk about because initially we weren't sure if she was coded with particularly anything but low self-esteem. But I was pretty adamant because I felt there was something more to it. And after looking a bit into it, my initial sort of impression I feel is correct. Um, like, it's something that I initially thought that could have been coded with her, but I wasn't sure until I looked it up. But we, so what came up, is that we feel she's coded with borderline personality disorder. Now, borderline personality disorder is, generally, has to do with somebody sort of being very, very, like, emotional, usually very reckless with what they do. Like, they'll, they'll put themselves in dangerous situations without thinking very much about it. There's a lot of, like, identity issues that have to do with self-loathing and self-hatred and just sort of not being satisfied with who you are as a person and things like that. And going through the DSM-5 and the specific criteria, Amethyst meets a lot of it. For example, she, even with identity, which is one of the main markers of dysfunction with people with borderline personality disorder, the whole other point, like, especially in the episode with the monster in her room, Amethyst's identity is, like, completely malleable in the sense that she will change to whatever people want her to be and feels like she'll be the most useful as. Like, with how she thought that Garnet wanted her to be more like Pearl, so when she got into reckless behavior by fighting the monster and getting poofed, she came back um, with ridiculously pointy hair and shoes trying to look and act like Pearl because she doesn't really like her identity and is willing to change it to sort of make other people happier which is a big sort of thing and another part um of the diagnostic criteria is sort of lacking certain empathy which Amethyst has not always been the most empathetic person on the show she'll crack jokes about other people without really thinking about how they feel like, there's, there's one example in particular where Stephen had, like, a dream or went through something really traumatic, and Amethyst joked about it very soon after, and he was like, you know, that just happened. And she's like, what, you've had enough time to get over it, oh, right? Oh, I know that one. It was... Oh, no, no, it was Catch and Release. That's it. When they, when they, when they grab Peridot and Poofa. To be fair, that was straight after he got kidnapped by Peridot. So she made a kidnapping joke, like, about five minutes afterwards. Stuff like that shows a certain lack of empathy for what other people are going through. And I can add to that with the most latest episode. Too far? Because mm-hmm. with that, it's amazing because she'll like be making jokes about, you know, laughing at Peridot's jokes about Stephen and Pearl and about Garnet. But as soon as it turns to 
something about her that she doesn't like, she suddenly gets really upset. It's a sore spot for her. True, I understand that. But when you think about it, that is does show a lack of empathy. And there was people that talk about the episode that were a bit upset that it seemed like the episode took her side when they think that arguably she was being just as insensitive as Peridot was. I think that's sort of the point, though, in that there's a constant theme of the show where things don't get resolved, everything in the same episode. That's really true. I mean, and not to mention with, oh, what was it called? The wrestling episode that we did. Uh, Tiger Millionaire. Uh, yeah, Tiger Millionaire. She was really receptive to Steven making fun of Pearl and Garnet. Actually, his criticisms were kind of spot on, but it wasn't until he was making fun of Garnet and Pearl, that she let him in on the wrestling. That's also a good point. But to go back to the whole her getting really upset when things go to her and criticize her, that's another aspect of borderline personality disorder where they can react sort of completely out of proportion for, by what's being said, and they also don't, don't do not take criticism at well at all. They'll take it very, very, very close to heart. Which is definitely showing Amethyst, where if something's even just semi-directed at her, she will get very, very, very upset and take it very personally. Even if she was doing basically the exact same thing before. And it's also shown, like, um, with the extreme emotions example um, in the episode with Greg and her, where one minute she's sort of joking around with Greg, but the moment that Greg tries to leave to go be with Steven during New Year's, it's such a small thing, right? And he just wants to be with his son. But Amethyst takes this completely out of proportion and gets very explosive about how she feels this is some sort of betrayal of her and their friendship. And it is partly her projecting her feelings to Rose onto Greg. But the fact was that it was that small little thing that got her emotions to sort of go right off the rails so to speak and become so very very explosive well what about me huh i had someone who was always there for me until she started hanging out with you don't do this amethyst seriously i bet you'd stay for her this also reflects another aspect of borderline personality disorder which is unstable close relationships with others now with the crystal gems with her and pearl that's pretty unstable. They're always at each other's throats. So, in other words, they're hot and they're cold, they're yes and they're no, and then they fight and they break up, and then they kiss and make up. You really like quoting your songs, don't you? I particularly like quoting songs very dryly. As it says right here about intimacy, people with borderline personality disorder have intense, unstable, and conflicting close relationships with other people, marked by mistrust, neediness, an anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment and devaluation. Which can be shown with her feelings and relationships with Greg and Rose, for example. How she deeply, deeply feels as if Greg was the one who made Rose go away. That it was completely his fault and that he took Rose away from her. So it's this idea that it's sort of a personal slight against Amethyst. That he did this, that Rose was taken away, which can be reflective of this problem with intimacy. And there's also a sort of idealization with Rose, with her as well, as well as the other gems, sort of seeing Rose as perfect and non-touchable and things like that. That is true, because I mean, 
sometimes I do feel like they all feel a similar way to how Amethyst feels. Like there's always that tension between Pearl and even with Garnet sometimes, they all still have a bit of that awkwardness with Greg because I think they all do in partly feel like he took her away from them. It's just that I think Amethyst deals with it differently and that she takes it as the personal thing rather than, you know, Pearl is upset with Greg in some ways because that's a love thing, isn't it? And a neediness in that sense. It's not that she knows it's not an attack on her. Pearl wanted Rose and couldn't have her. Whereas with what you're saying with Amethyst is that she takes it as a personal thing against her. Yeah, and it's just that she still holds on to it even though it's been a long time. Like She still, even when they're trying to become friends again, still holds this idea that um, Greg, like, made something like made rose go away and there's that mistrust and that sort of feeling in their relationship that she still holds on to that makes their relationship pretty unhealthy at least during that episode i mean it even happens later on in the sardonic art because she reacts really badly just being passed over she wanted to be sugarlite with garnet and garnet's like no we need sardonics and she took that amazingly hard Precisely. That was actually going to be another point I made. Haha, you're one step ahead of me. Well, no, exactly. She took this as a very, very personally, even though, like, Garda had a very good reasons for them not to become Sugalite, because they could be very destructive, but she felt as if this was because Garnet didn't, like, like her anymore, or felt like they weren't good enough, and she just wanted to be strong. And sort of become a little more self-accepting by being Sugalite. Because she and Pearl get part of their self-esteem through Garnet's strength. They sort of idealize Garnet as someone who is, well, like I said earlier, a hoopy fruit. And so they extend that to their own egos where if I am with Garnet or I... And they sort of see being fused with Garnet as tantamount to acceptance. So if they're fused with Garnet, they are accepted by Garnet and therefore are an acceptable uh, gem themselves. Which is is why Garnet took that offence to that. You know, when you look at the whole sardonics thing, you know, obviously she's most upset with Pearl, as, as, you, as she should be. But you can also tell that she's upset with Amethyst as well. Because she wants to be, she, you know, she's their friend. She's not there to be their emotional crutch. Yep. Yeah, precisely. She doesn't want to feel like she's being used as something. She wants to genuinely be like, be their friend and have a genuine relationship with them, not for them to use her as that crutch, as their way of feeling strong through her instead of with her, I guess, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I just wanted to share a few more victories with you. Those weren't victories. Wait, Garnet! You know, we're so much weaker than you. Fusing with you is like our one chance to feel stronger. Another aspect of her coding as being borderline personality disorder would be her very, like, negative way of acting about herself and others. She can be all jokes, but one, she literally says that she hates herself during the, um, On the Run episode. Like, that she just doesn't like her she, herself. She doesn't feel like she's a good person and that she feels others should stay away from her. But it's also that even with other people, like, she is probably, like, the most real... Well, yes, insecure. But I was about to say, like, in certain situations, she's probably the most negative about things. Like, for example, when 
during the test where they're, the gems are waiting in the room for Steven, she's the one who's just like, what's the point of doing this? We're really bad at raising Steven. Like, we're just not good at it. Like, she's the first one who says this because she's the one who first and foremost goes to that negative headspace where that they're, and especially she, is not good enough that they are usually doing something wrong or something is going to go wrong. Though, to be fair, I think that was a shared concern because it is a pretty adult fear kind of thing where a lot of parents wonder if they are adequate enough to take care of their child, if they are more harmful than helpful to their child. And for all guardians and caretakers, it can be sort of one of the most common sore spots. And I think that Amethyst going for it first, I definitely agree. She's the most negative, but I don't think that she was the only one thinking that at the time because there is a certain anxiety that the gyms have with A, raising Steven just in general, and raising Steven as a completely unique being that has never existed before. Um, that's true. I'm not saying it isn't shared, but I'm trying to say that Amethyst is definitely the one who, like, the other gems try to sort of kid themselves that this was good and that this was sort of make up for any of the sort of mistakes they might have made by raising Steven, but... Amethyst was one who's being the most real and the most, like, bitterly honest to the point of, like, you know, deprecation of them being not good at it. Yeah, I think that that word bitter really works the best there. But that just sort of is an example of showing how she's just so negative and self-loathing. The one last thing we could just sort of touch on about it would be her risk-taking and her general way of just not really caring about getting into physically harmful situations. Now, in the DSM-5, that usually also refers to, like, self-harm and suicidal behaviors, which we we can maybe assume, but, like, I don't think it's really fair to assume that that's sort of what they're going for. But we could definitely see that she does not take as much care of herself and her physical well-being than the other gems. She very often gets into physical situations and does not really think about the consequences. Like, really good examples of this is the episode where her gem gets cracked. Indirect kiss. That's it. I'm really bad at the episode names. And, um, Reformed? Yes, definitely Reformed. Reformed is a very good episode showing that just the fact that she just went headfirst to not think of anything of it, just going to fight that monster even though she constantly kept getting poofed. And there's even a fact that in one of their early episodes, they outright state, like, Amethyst is almost always the one getting poofed because she's... Oh, yeah! And not to mention the fact that one of their main solutions to the Red Eye and the Master Hand that Peridot piloted, that one of their main solutions was to just chuck Amethyst at it. Precisely. And she she keeps getting hurt by it. Like, it's not definitely... It's obviously not working, but... She still keeps putting herself in there physically to do that. That makes me think of Pearl a little bit in as much as Pearl was willing to do that for Rose and she was trying to get Connie to be that for Stephen. But Amethyst will just do that for anyone because she has such a low opinion of herself. Well, precisely. It's just the fact that she doesn't care. Well, presumably, and from what we've seen, she just doesn't care about herself enough to really care if she gets in harm's way as much as the other gems or other people. She'll just put herself in these dangerous situations without any thought, because she just doesn't care most of the time. 
which is just another big part of borderline where you just do that to yourself. I only feel how I want to feel. And also very quickly, um, she can get very angry with other people, showing a lot of hostility, which is another part of borderline. Like, she'll just take any small slight she feels people have against her and just be very, very hostile about it. For example, like when Peridot was joking about Amethyst, and you may be getting a little too real, but even though Amethyst was just doing it, she took that and was just very antagonistic and hostile towards Peridot after the fact, and even towards Steven to a certain extent after. So I was right. And not to mention the end result was Amadot. I saw that people were, like, shipping it after the episode before I even saw the episode, and I'm like, Same here. there's no way. What could they possibly do? Well, it's it's the number one rule for any sort of shipping. If a one character falls upon another character and they look into each other's eyes, people are going to ship them. It's true. Man, Steam Universe <laughs> is such anime. It is, somehow. <laughs> Rebecca Sugar, like, does not even care. She is going to put all these anime tropes and stuff into her western animation show so before we think about wrapping this up we're just gonna have a few quick fire topics to talk about and first thing we're gonna start off is talking about connie and the general thing with connie i felt and a lot of people brought up is and we've talked about this quite a lot um i think we tried to talk about it in our steven episode and then we had to cut it out she will be getting her own episode eventually, and we'll definitely go into more details then. But definitely Connie has signs of anxiety. I have some anxiety, and I think I'm not the only one. I think some of the rest of us do too. Yeah, I've also been diagnosed with anxiety as well. So, Ari, what do you think about the anxiety when it comes to Connie? Where do you see that coming from? It's most obvious when we see it in Alone Together, but we also see it in very tiny ways with her initial reaction to Steven in that maybe I'm just nitpicking here, but when they're at the bottom of the reef, she thinks she's going to die without any friends, yet Steven has been hanging out with her all day and not and was the one who initiated contact and was making the effort to start the friendship. And so I think it shows that she does not have a lot of faith in starting or maintaining a friendship and that uh, and that's sort of what rules a lot of anxiety is that there is that constant second-guessing of yourself, that constant fear, that constant you're tipping backwards in a chair and about to fall back, but you don't kind of feeling. In Alone Together, when they're at the dance, they literally feel as if they are in a bubble as they're having a panic attack because, you know, personal space and things like that. That's a pretty obvious, like, connection to anxiety. So we better finish this off with our final person we want to talk about. Ronaldo has narcissistic personality disorder. This comes with a few different traits. Uh, bases identity on the approval of others. It's not just that he has these that are outland or basically just conspiracy theories that make no sense. But those conspiracy theories, as a necessity must revolve around Ronaldo being important to the universe and that he needs others to notice that he is the center of his own universe and that everything revolves around him. And it's not that there is a conspiracy of snake people or polymorphic gems from outer space, but that they are somehow trying to keep him in check as he 
is trying to tell people the truth and that he is that hero in his own little story. Mm-hmm. It also comes with impaired empathy where he only really pays attention to other people when they relate to him or if he thinks that he wants them around. He only pays attention to Peaky when it relates to investigating the several conspiracies. He also misjudges how his actions will affect everyone else when he uh, tries to kill Lars, or when he ties up Steven at, when Steven is a uh, nursing. And again, there is the attention-seeking and feelings of self-importance and grandeur. You know, like uh, that one line, it's our duty to let those simple people live out their simple lives without knowing the burden of being friends with us. And this is where a lot of the conflicts with Ronaldo come from, when they aren't actively outside of Ronaldo, like the gem inside of the lighthouse. They are almost always from Ronaldo. Like with the episodes Keep Beach City Weird and Rising Tides slash Crashing Skies, Ronaldo is the source of his own problems, and while he interacts with others and the others conflict with Ronaldo, he is the source of his own conflict, uh, thematically speaking. Thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you! I mean, when you look at it, narcissistic characters appear a lot in the media. It's a very common character trait. The problem is, though, is where a lot of characters like, say, Basil Fawlty, it's all done for humour and it gets toned right. down so the more annoying aspects get toned down with... Ronaldo, they keep those elements in because they want it to be real, and that's why he sort of has that sort of marmite, you know, that sort of marmite opinion towards him. Right. You know, some people love him and other people hate him. Uh, I can't say I terribly like him too much personally. But I do like that they don't shy away from his symptoms to make him a more likable character, like they did with uh, Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother, or with Bender from Futurama, or with every other narcissistic character before him. They always treat him like voting of Ronaldo as being narcissistic, but I think they show a little more. It can have serious consequences, like actually like tying Steven up and kidnapping him, basically. Yeah, and especially with his treatment of Petey and how he treats other people around him, like Lars and uh, Sadie, it really shows that there are negative aspects to this archetype and that it isn't cute to be in this level of denial. and. The sad part is that a lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder go untreated because the prerequisite of getting treatment requires acknowledging having a problem. Yeah, and that can be a lot of issues for basically any sort of uh, mental disorder that, or just any disorder basically in general, is just to admit that it's an issue and recognize it is because sometimes, you know, people can see it as, oh, well, everybody goes through this, everybody probably feels this way or has felt this way and I'm just overreacting and how I'm feeling about it. But a lot of times, you know, you're not. Well, not just that, but when a narcissistic person is confronted with their own flaws, their first reaction isn't to acknowledge it in a deep way. They usually run from all acknowledgement of their flaws while assigning them to other people and uh, very often projecting their uh, issues onto others. In the rare thing that they do realise it's themselves, they sort of just collapse and they sort of just get really, really depressed and 
it all becomes about them in how much of a worm they are, how terrible they are, how they mistreat their friends. And, you know, that sort of woe is me. I am the most miserable insect on the planet, as some people do get like that when they realise what they've done but still haven't got the help. I read an article about it, so take that as you will. Um, I think this is a good point to mention as we're sort of closing out that these are sort of our opinions and they can be informed by our personal experiences. Like, for example, some of our experiences with autism who are autistic here or some people's problems with, like, self-hatred and self-esteem issues or some, like, experiences with, with some other mental illnesses that we've been talking about. But the point is... If you disagree with us or feel like we are over-exaggerating some of the instances that we quote from the show to sort of explain our reasoning, that's okay. Because we all have our different relationships with these characters and how we relate to them and what we might see in them as coded or how we relate to them personally. We might have stuttered out our opinions. We've certainly not been concise. (laughs) No, no. Still, we are all like you. We all have our own personal connections, and we just have a show to share these opinions with you guys. Feel free to uh, send us your own thoughts through Reddit and Tumblr and everything else and uh, Twitter, wherever we have an avenue for you to communicate with us. Oh, definitely. And while we're here, and since I think Sam summed up so great, we don't really need to give final thoughts. I just want to just bring up a few important things about where you can find us. If you'd like your comments to be read out on the next podcast, then you can send us an email to crystalgemcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website at www.crystalgemcast.com. If you want to help the podcast, there's multiple ways of doing that. You can subscribe using your favourite podcast app. You can give us a favourite on SoundCloud. You can give us a rating on iTunes. We especially appreciate that and a review if possible. Or you can like us on Facebook Join our Facebook listeners page, which is Crystal Gemcast Listeners. You'll be able to find it by searching for it, by following us on Twitter, and of course, by following and reblogging our stuff on Tumblr. Or you can even just recommend the podcast to a friend. Whatever way you'd like to support us, we really appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening. I'm Joseph. I'm Ami. And I'm Sam. And we'll be back next time to talk about something that isn't about mental health. Because really... Two episodes about it is just about enough. For now, anyway. And to play us out, here is a song from Sam. If I could begin to be half of what you think of me, I could do about anything. I could even learn how to love. When I see the way you wept, wondering when I'm coming back, I could do about anything. I could even. That was the Crystal Gemcast. The ending song, Love Like You, was written by Rebecca Sugar and performed by Sam. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and is a production of Cartoon Network Studios. Thanks for listening.